Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. to the Explaining History podcast, and today I'm going to talk about the idea of there having been a Nazi uh, cultural revolution, or an attempt at a cultural revolution, during um, the period 1933 to 1939. Now, this is a strange and often overused term, but it's a notion that's slightly different to um, the Stalinist and Maoist cultural uh, revolutions, which were an attempt to um, harness, uh, to connect Stalin and Mao with the population at large and try to bypass the uh, growing issue of bureaucratisation of the revolution as both individuals saw it, the idea to create a kind of Marxist-Leninist and Maoist uh, populism, uh, if you will. Um, Hitler, the Nazi kind of cultural revolution, was uh, an attempt to fundamentally reshape Germany, to reshape Germany along racial lines, but also along um, cultural and intellectual lines, simply uh, put, to alter how German people thought and felt about the social reality uh, around them, to take people that perhaps didn't initially think in explicitly racial terms and present them with little alternative, but to embrace uh, racial thinking and embrace um, notions of uh, Volk and Reich and of um, the uh, taxonomy of races uh, wholeheartedly. Joseph Goebbels um, said that basically the Nazi revolution would be a complete and full revolution and there would be no bystanders, no people reluctantly accepting uh, the verdict of January 1933. Instead, there would be people who would be um, encouraged to and forced to become active participants in building a new Germany. Now, today I'm reading from uh, Noakes and Pridham, uh, Nazism, a Documentary Reader, uh, Volume 2, State, Economy and Society, 
And these, the, the trilogy of um, uh, Noakes and Pridham documentary readers really are some of the best things that have ever been written on the subject of Nazi Germany. Noakes and Pridham write, In the eyes of the Nazis, their seizure of power in 1933 was more than just a change of government. It represented merely the start of a revolution which would transform German society in accordance with their ideology. Speaking to the party faithful in September 1933 at his first Nazi rally at Nuremberg after the seizure of power, Hitler distinguished between the political and ideological revolution. And here is a quote directly from Hitler. On the 30th of January 1933, the National Socialist Party was entrusted with the political leadership of the Reich. At the end of March, the National Socialist Revolution was completed on the external plane, by which, of course, he is talking about the process of consolidation of power, the uh, purge of the communists and the social democrats, the enabling act, uh, and the, the, um, the March um, election. Completed so far as regards the entire takeover of political power. But only those who have not fully comprehended the character of this tremendous struggle can believe that the struggle between ideologies has thereby come to an end. This would be so if the National Socialist Movement wanted nothing other than the ordinary parties. These do indeed seem to reach the peak of their ambition and therefore of their existence on the day of the takeover of political power. Ideologies, however, see in the achievement of political power only the prerequisite for the beginning of the fulfilment of their real mission. The word ideology already contains the solemn proclamation of the decision to base all actions upon, uh, upon a particular initial position, and therefore a clear orientation. Such an attitude may be right or wrong. It is the basis for the attitude to be adopted towards all the phenomena and processes of life and therefore is a law which binds and determines all action. So here we go deep into Hitler's own thinking. Um, Hitler saw all politics as essentially redundant. He saw most philosophy, most ideologies essentially redundant. All things were redundant in the face of one truth, and that was the truth of racial struggle in his eyes, that all history was defined by it, just as Marx had argued that all history was defined by class struggle. Hitler said that um, all the, um, the point of any political party seizing power um, was to implement uh, ideology, in this case racial ideology, and that racial ideology was more important than any other consideration, and that the and that, um, the workings of the state, which is what the party had seized control of, would now be bent towards fulfilling this goal. In a way, he's saying that the first phase of the seizure of power, the elimination of the communists um, and the uh, destruction of parliamentary democracy using the Enabling Act, was really just the very beginning. So that was the, um, the easy bit, in some ways the, the, the trivial bit. Uh, and now the long struggle, as Hitler saw it, was a struggle for changing attitudes and beliefs. Hitler believed that this would be a generational struggle, 
and it would be the young people in Germany who would carry his revolution forwards. Hitler believed that people of his generation, the good ones had either all been killed in the First World War, which uh, again suggests that for Hitler and many uh, Nazis like him, there is a great deal of almost survivor's guilt, but a kind of survivor's remorse that the, that the glorious death had been um, missed and that um, somehow the more inadequate members of uh, adult German society plodded on. Those that had not fought in the First World War, but who had kind of grown up through Weimar, Hitler viewed as having been almost completely corrupted by Weimar. They were in possession of the wrong kinds of ideas, the wrong kinds of beliefs, the wrong kinds of attitudes, and some, he thought, were irretrievable. Um, he thought that basically his generation was almost completely spent and that it is in young people that the real Nazi revolution would be taken forwards. Um, so the beginnings of Hitler's domestic political programme, um, which uh, were based around the, the lessons that he drew from Germany's defeat in 1918 and its subsequent uh, humiliation uh, thereafter. And Hitler and many of the, other, or the other leading Nazis would continually return back to the nightmare of 1918 and ask themselves, why did Germany lose? What possible explanation can there be? And for many on the German right, the explanation had been a social explanation um, and that Germany had not been defeated on the battlefield. Instead, Germany had been defeated on the home front. Um, not only had there been the, you know, as we talk about, the kind of the stab-in-the-back conspiracy theory, um, the, that kind of Jewish Bolsheviks uh, and agitators had uh, caused a revolution and, and brought the country down. But also, um, on the home front, in Hitler's eyes, there had been what the Nazis referred to as social ballast. There had been useless eaters, the kinds of uh, people... Um, who were either work-shy or disabled or mentally ill or alcoholic or um, the, the, the kind of the, the, the riffraff that Hitler believed that nature would normally have, have weeded out through natural selection but um, processes such as state socialism and liberalism had uh, preserved uh, you know, the uh, welfare states uh, ensuring that people didn't starve, um, that kind of thing. Uh, and that these useless eaters had been um, part of the, the reason why uh, Germany had gone into decline during the First World War, perhaps due to a weakened racial stock, or perhaps due to the fact that resources were being expended on them instead of men, uh, fighting men at the front. Of course, these ideas are kind of ludicrous and absurd and incoherent and not really based on any empirical evidence. And offensive and odious though they are, it's important for us here, as kind of shall we say intellectual historians, to try to uh, understand the argument. To no matter how kind of absurd it is, to uh, understand and interpret um, what was be what was believed, because in the full um, uh, full kind of uh, events of the Third Reich these ideas and beliefs have a significant impact.
Hitler greatly admired Allied propaganda. You know, he believed that it had had an immense contribution in winning the war for uh, um, the uh, Allied powers. Um, Noakes and Pridham write. The main lesson drawn by Hitler, and in this he merely echoed the views of leading military commentators such as General Ludendorff, was that wars had ceased to be simply the province of professional soldiers. They were now fought between whole nations. As a result, they required the total mobilisation, not only of a nation's military and economic resources, but also, above all, its morale. Um, Hitler regarded, Hitler believed that morale, uh, national unity and national identity was the most decisive factor. Um, in his um, perspective, um, the biggest defeat that Germany had suffered wasn't on the battlefield, uh, but it was on the imposition uh, on, the um, on the German people of an entirely new ethos, that being the uh, broadly um, social uh, democratic uh, principles the Weimar Republic and its dominant parties. Um, in Hitler's uh, distorted view, liberalism, which uh, emphasised the uh, rights of the individual um, over the uh, life of the community, the nation, uh, the uh, Volk, um, was an anti-German um, concept. Um, and the um, development of democracy, which subordinated the creative or the heroic individual to the mass, uh, and Marxism with its uh, advocacy of um, social conflict and uh, class war. These this Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This had been um, foreign ideas injected into Germany, which had um, uh, been uh, used to undermine it. If you ignore the fact that obviously Marx was a, a German um, a German assimilated Jew, uh, if you ignore the fact that liberalism was uh, alive and well in Germany um, a, a century before the uh, end of the First World War, uh, and if you ignore the fact that um, the uh, entire course of German history between 1815 and about 1848 
was one of attempting to build uh, democratic uh, liberal institutions in Germany, um, then perhaps you would have the, the basis for um, Hitler's worldview. But you have to be entirely selective here and edit out huge chunks of German history where liberalism, uh, the rights of the individual, um, the uh, development of democracy and also of socialism were um, entirely um, uh, of a piece with uh, Germany and Germanness itself. Again, in Hitler's own uh, very uh, warped thinking, uh, if one denied that race was uh, a significant defining factor of a nation, one was essentially playing into the hands of the Jews, who had no, uh, in his view, national or ethnic loyalty, they were cosmopolitan, you could find Jewish people all around the world and they had no tie to anywhere and they were always secretly plotting to destroy countries like Germany in his, uh, in his view. Um, and also um, any kind of um, internationalism that the, the uh, Weimar Republic had displayed was uh, um, simply interpreted in Hitler's view as a lack of patriotism during the war. Um, the Social Democratic Party's uh, internationalism had led to the development of pacifistic ideas, which once again, uh, on the home front, undermined the army and led to defeat. Um, much of this was a kind of uh, a diversionary activity. Much of this, this rhetoric was an attempt to um, ignore the reality that Germany had been defeated on the battlefield. It was defeated on the battlefield, uh, and then the war was ended by a revolution. The German uh, working class and German sailors and soldiers overthrew the Kaiser, uh, ending the Kaiser's war uh, because of the uh, crippling food shortages in Germany. Another one of the culprits in Hitler's eyes were the pre-war governments that were entirely weak in his eyes and had allowed these unnatural ideas, these liberal and socialist uh, and democratic ideas, to embed themselves in, uh, in Germany uh, and there the danger, uh, what they had done is they had corroded the idea of national identity in, in his eyes. Noakes and Pridham right. Um, owing to the weakness of the pre-war governments, these unnatural ideas had exercised a pervasive influence over the previous decades and had deeply entrenched themselves in German society and culture, sapping the national will. To restore German unity and morale, therefore, would now require internal reforms. First, the democratic system of Weimar must be overthrown and replaced by a dictatorship. And secondly, the new regime must then create a new social order in which class conflict and ideological cleavages would disappear and be replaced by a sense of national solidarity and by a commitment on the part of every individual to put the interests of the nation before self. The concept used by the Nazis to describe their social model was the national or people's community, Volksgemeinschaft, which would be created by the Nazi movement and whose interest would be expressed through Hitler's leadership. 
like almost all Nazi ideological concepts, it was by no means original. Indeed, it was a cliché among the German right during the Weimar Republic as a counter-model to the class society diagnosed by the left. So Hitler believed that such huge changes needed to take place in order to restore German national identity and to restore the concept of Germanness uh, altogether. Um, that nothing short of a, a revolution um, could be countenanced, the overthrow of democracy. And then the overthrow of democracy is really the, the prelude to a kind of a social construction. And the idea of uh, placing the idea of the community or the nation before that of the individual. Hitler was not a believer in the individual at all. Much as Hitler was an anti-intellectual and didn't believe really in the value of intellect, simply um, believing in the importance of will, he also did not see that the individual really had much of a role in society at all. Um, Hitler believed that uh, individual pleasures were something that were kind of antithetical to Nazism, uh, that um, struggle, sacrifice and war in uh, the pursuance of um, racial greatness was what individuals are for, um, and that um, the German people, it was important for them not to become too pampered, too indulged, too well looked after. Um, Hitler thought that um, shortages uh, during the rearmament period uh, were probably a good thing, and the German people needed to know about hardship and privation to toughen them up, because the war that he had planned would be a period of, of immense hardship um, and of uh, potential shortages, and that the, the German people would um, rise to the challenge, and the reward would be territory uh, in the east. I mean, Hitler did envisage there being a kind of a an attractive post-Second uh, World War standard of living for most Germans, um, but that would be gained as a result of plunder, of conquest, of um, uh, the action of um, the German uh, master race seizing territory uh, in Russia. And that would be uh, the, the test of uh, German racial stock. That's how German living standards would rise. The idea that uh, German living standards would simply improve through kind of uh, general um, consumer um, consumerism during the 1930s uh, did not sit well with Hitler. Um, always quite the hypocrite, Hitler had a, a very pampered standard of living during the 1930s. He was very ill-suited to the hardships and the uh, work commitment during the war. His uh, own personal schedule is uh, uh, famed for its indolence and he enjoyed um, the, all the things that uh, particularly the royalties of Mein Kampf could buy him. Um, he enjoyed many of the accoutrements of modernity, uh, automobiles and cine projectors and all these uh, nice useful new things. Um, and German uh, living standards uh, do fluctuate throughout the 1930s. There are brief moments where they overall they improve, but for much of the 1930s um, the, there is uh, very little kind of uh, improvement 
from the uh, Great Depression years 1929 to 33. So the thinking behind Volksgemeinschaft was that membership of the nation should transcend class differences. It wasn't um, a, a, an idea based in class equality of uh, you know, redistributing wealth. More it was a case that uh, a, a member of the upper classes and a member of the working classes, whilst they might not live the same kinds of lives, could still look upon one another as being as German as the other and as being um, part of the, the process of sacrificing and serving in the interests of the greater racial body. Of course, um, as in, in the normal run of things, uh, the wealthy of Germany um, arguably uh, sacrificed less overall than the poor did and had the opportunities um, to make sure that uh, they faced fewer of the privations of war uh, until after about 1943. Um, the prototype of this Volksgemeinschaft lay in the, the idea of the, the Bergfried, or peace within the fortress, the spirit of 1914, when social conflict um, in Germany was temporarily set aside for about 18 months to two years uh, until 1916 um, in the interests of unity and national unity and nationalist fervour um, during the, the, the initial uh, months of the, the outbreak of war. Um, the big domestic goal of the Nazis um, was to recreate this idea of the United Nation that was also eager for war. Many of them recalled fondly uh, German enthusiasm for war. And it's uh, no small irony that in 1939, when Hitler tours Berlin on the 1st of September, uh, there are no crowds on the streets cheering for uh, his new war with Poland, only worried and concerned citizens uh, making themselves scarce. Um, and the German nationalist right was obsessed with recreating this spirit of 1914 and obviously trying to avoid the outcome of 1918, which haunted them like a spectre. Okay, I'm going to finish there. I hope you found that useful and interesting. I'll catch you on the next uh, podcast. Uh, my uh, apologies. We've been a bit slow in putting podcasts out. I had some kind of rather irritating summer virus for a, a couple of weeks. But we'll be back on it now uh, in the run-up to September. Um, and we'll be having, hopefully, a couple of interesting interviews coming up soon as well. Anyway, thanks very much for listening, and if you can support us on Patreon, do, uh, do find us on the Explaining History Patreon page, and I'll catch you on the next podcast. All the best. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.